Hello, we're coming to you from the balcony on Movies.com. I'm Statler. And I'm Waldorf. And we're not dead. Yet. <laughs> Each week, we'll tell you what to see and what to avoid. Avoid Paris Hilton. You know, I stayed there once. Who hasn't? <laughs> Later in the show, some friends will be stopping by. And we'll give you our Oscar predictions. Well, I can do that right now. Uh, really? I predict boredom. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we have wrapped up another trilogy. I would say this is one of the more interesting trilogies based on how I've reacted to all three films <laughs> and how you've reacted to all three films. Usually interesting is code for I didn't like it, and Webb uh, is <laughs> no, maintaining no. that code. <laughs> <laughs> we really wanted to kind of see directors... Going back to the well, and with Clerks 2, you have Kevin Smith, who is going back to characters that he's comfortable with. You've got Sam Raimi with Drag Me to Hell, and he's going back to a genre that I think he's comfortable with. And then with Linklater, I think you've got a director kind of going back to the same themes that he's comfortable with, the come-of-age concept, uh, the nature of relationships, and also... It doesn't hurt when you've got uh, an actor that you are extremely comfortable with and collaborative with in Ethan Hawke. Now, I want to ask you if these three films individually, were they successes? Was it right for these directors to go back and revisit the things that they are, well, I guess for the lack of a better word, comfortable with? I mean, if you're removing our judgment, all of these were successful. Certainly Boyhood uh, was, as we talked about the episode, was the most critical success. Uh, Drag Me to Hell and that episode we talked about was a financial hit, even bigger than I remembered. And also, I think, was critically well-received for its genre. You know, what obviously was not an awards contender, nor was it ever intended to, to, to do so. Clerks 2 is probably the strangest one. I would say it's a solid double. Uh, I think critically... Smith was definitely butting up against that. Well, that's a stupid idea. Like, God, this guy has no more ideas. He's got to go back to Jay and Silent Bob and Dick and Fart jokes. And I think there was maybe more more of a surprise and, I guess, appreciation for like, oh, he is he actually was able to utilize these these very sort of youth centered characters and 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 do something different. Maybe make a commentary on on his own life experience there. I, th I think they're all successful. I would say from – I'm going to surprise you here. I would say that the perhaps least successful one is probably Boyhood for our theme in the sense that now I think the before trilogy probably overshadows even the achievement of Boyhood. Maybe not as a singular film, but I think among film fans, 
the general public, I don't know. I think more people probably saw Boyhood than I would have expected. Maybe that's the sort of the Oscar frontrunner status that it had for most of the year. But I think we're, as you mentioned, Linklater's damn near obsession with the passage of time. Maybe not as uh, as much of a singular achievement, uh, but I think the Before series people have far more of a, an attachment to and maybe revisit you know, an, an individual film in that series more often. Um, so as far as our theme of directors kind of repeating themselves, I would, I would say that Clerks 2, even though it's, it's the most modest success from a financial or critical perspective, maybe is the most successful, or at least for me, uh, as far as the, the way we're looking at the theme, that Smith was able to, to re-examine and do something uh, the same, but shockingly different from the original film that really kickstarted his career. Yeah, I agree. And from actually a box office standpoint, it's funny to me because he spoke to Harvey Weinstein about it. Uh, he, he wanted to go back to like a low budget, you know, filmmaking experience. And he didn't want to market the film at all. He's like, I'll just tweet out when it's coming out. <laughs> Such as the ego of Smith. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, I don't know his credit. It's like we can't do that, Kevin. We have to. Mar and so I think the budget was originally like five million, and with marketing, it went up to like ten. And Kevin was just like, "God damn it!" Like no one who isn't already familiar with my work is going to show up to Clerks too. And I, I do kind of see that his point in that. Certainly but more financially uh, successful than well, I mean, like Tusk. <laughs> Red State, which I, I believe Red State is probably the purest example of maybe how Smith wants to function uh, as a filmmaker, where <laughs> you only watch it if he shows up in your town and then talks to you after <laughs> after the movie's over. He wants to have that one-on-one -on -one connection. And I, I went to one of those things. I went to uh, Butler University in Indiana to go see this and to hear Kevin Smith. Now, I'm, I'm the bad Kevin Smith fan where... Uh, it was such a long drive, and the film didn't start till like you know eight or nine o'clock. We actually dipped out. <laughs> like when it got to the Q and A, I'm like, God, I can't stay here till fucking three in the morning listening to these freaks ask him like about Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> like I gave it the good college try and like let him talk about this film, but I didn't stay stick around so everyone could get their question. But all credit to Smith that he wants to have that connection with his his fan base, I guess. I went real, uh, <laughs> real thrifty with that. I was like, this fucking thing cost me $70. He better stay here until 3 in the morning answering <laughs> these freaks' questions. Uh, I had a great time. Yeah, I, again, lucky that uh, I'm near D.C. that he came here and I didn't have to uh, go too far to watch that. I had a great time. Um, I had a great experience. I didn't love the movie, but I had a great experience with it. For me, Clerks 2 is a success, especially compared to Kevin Smith's work after <laughs> Clerks 2. And the fact that, like, yoga hosers exist. Clerks 2 is fucking 400 blows. Uh, drag Me to Hell, I would say, <laughs> based on our episode, no, it's not a success. Because we're not going to watch this fucking thing again. <laughs> but, but <we're, laughs> Ramey, uh, in some form or fashion, got us four times each, so... I mean, that's more than probably what Boyhood's going to get from you in your yeah. lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Sam Raimi goes back to horror, but I feel like 
he's excited to be back, but he's not willing to have those cold nights in a cabin in the woods. He's like, oh, we'll, just, we'll just CGI the eyes squirting out of this lady's head. We'll just CGI. So I feel uh, like he's... The Spider-Man heart isn't halo effect there of being used to those budgets. Yeah, I, I get you. Certainly. And then with Boyhood, I'm going to I'm gonna say no only because I haven't seen anything Linklater's done after Boyhood. Uh, something about Bernadette, uh, everybody wants. I know that one has a bit of a following. Uh, he did something about... America, something about a flag. I, I have, I just, <laughs> uh, I just have, go back and listen if you interest. haven't to, to our boyhood episode where Webb says, I didn't have any of these life experiences and listen to him talk about <laughs> the American teenager, something about a flag. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, baseball, who cares? I'm, I'm one of the card game members of everybody wants some, which is, Far more in the vein of him pulling a Kevin Smith of let's go back to uh, I think he he has said that it's like a spiritual sequel to uh, Dazed and Confused. Like if if Dazed and Confused was the high school days and this is the college, the same characters basically. What the fuck didn't we do that movie instead of Boyhood? Then <laughs> doesn't that fit better? Uh. I don't well, I think that it would be you would have a very similar conversation to uh clerks too and in the sense of okay. let's just see these characters in a different setting older and trying to mature now <laughs> in some ways uh not as much because they're still college jocks entering like their freshman year, so how much maturity can they have on the other hand, they're far more mature than the guys uh, having a fucking donkey show at their place of work, so oh <laughs> they win some they lose some. Uh, don't worry. You know, when we do some sort of sports-centric theme, maybe we'll do Everybody Wants Some, but I, I've already, I was already prepared for you to shit on Boyhood. I'm not going to have you attack. Uh, I have a wedding picture, which is me and uh, my groomsman uh, mimicking the Everybody Wants Some poster with my bride-to-be. Wow. It's the only thing I asked for. I also have to send it to you privately. That's not for, I guess, you know, public consumption. Not that... Uh, there's anything wrong with it, but I don't need any more chuckleheads like you being like, oh, that movie sucks. And so is your wedding. that really got me interested in going back to the well as a concept is dealing with directors who are artists and, and really do care about their work having a bad experience something like after jersey girl i'm sure kevin was kind of upset about its reception and about the fact that he had to change his like three hour cut to whatever 90 minute version that the studio wanted uh you've got sam raimi who came off of Spider-Man 2 was like the biggest thing. It was like the it was the greatest superhero film and even to this day people look at that as kind of the tentpole. It's like this is the standard. Dark Knight's up there as well. 
And then him having to, <laughs> right, I think you're, I think you're rewriting history just a little bit for, for why? Like uh, the there is to me there's no comparison. The Dark Knight is the superhero movie because it's okay, okay. like something that the general like my dad, my dad bought a ticket to see The Dark Knight, had no fucking interest in Spider Man. That's a kids movie, like and it's. It's it's the difference in in tone. It's like Spider Man is like the Silver Age. It's like you know Doctor Octopus and like you know all the villains are kind of kind of likable. They're also kind of tragic in that way. And the Dark Knight is, I don't know. It's like no one's doing a Michael Mann movie, but the guy's in a bat yeah. suit, that sort of thing. So you can trick the general public. But I also feel like, and this is just my own personal thing, I feel like sometimes when we get away from the movies, and especially with younger fans on Twitter, you know, they didn't really live through it, which is weird to say with the dark Knight specifically, like you didn't live it. The dark Knight, It was, you know, it was like Batman 89 all over again. People were like fucking nuts about it. Like, and it just dominated. I mean, it changed the Academy award nomination process, which is weird for a popcorn movie where they had to create the dark Knight rule to expand the best picture nominees. Cause the dark Knight should have been nominated. And it's like, this is why the Academy is going down the drain. And, you know, when I, I, I get a little bit, uh, I puff my chest out when people are like, well, you know, actually Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is probably more impactful in the superhero genre than the Dark Knight. It's like, all right, so now we're just, now we're just, we're just saying any words that come into our fucking stupid head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to rewrite history right now again because you're right. I actually didn't like Batman Begins that much, but even I was like psyched for Dark Knight. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to rewrite what I just fucking said a minute ago. Anyway, Sam Raimi came off of Spider-Man 2 and won all of the love from critics and fans alike. And then had to go into Spider-Man 3 with other people telling him, no, 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 have this happen and do this and include this. And so you've got somebody who had a completely bad experience i think with a film and you know it came out and everybody was kind of like oh to it and i think rightfully so for the most part by the way have you seen that producer's cut of spider-man 3 i didn't even know there was such a thing what i mean yeah don't it's terrible it's even worse than spider-man 3 anyways and him wanting to go back to the horror genre something he's more familiar with and something that he has way more control over as well with boyhood though i feel like link later is is kind of on the level with like the coen brothers like no one's really gonna tell him oh well you know mason wouldn't do this cut this out of boyhood and do that and right. so i can't i can't imagine that any of his films have really had tumultuous productions uh it's it, almost like he you know whatever he wants to say he can kind of get away with saying it because ultimately his films are not big budget blockbusters he uh is a very intimate filmmaker. He's very collaborative. Who has a problem with Linklater? Nobody, except for me in Boyhood. And <laughs> so that's why I feel like Boyhood is a little bit of the outlier here because he's not coming off. I, what, did he do Bernie right before this? I, I can't remember which one, or maybe before Midnight. So he's coming off of a, a great films and going right on into Boyhood to some degree because he had already been filming it for 11 yeah, because I mean he's he's doing like a Bad News Bears remake while he's filming Boyhood, uh, as and I, I think he did a, a some sort of narrative 
uh, adaptation of Fast Food Nation. Uh, I've always liked Linklater more to like a Soderbergh, where it's like if you actually you just pull up his IMDb credits, he doesn't necessarily he has very consistent themes he returns back to, and it's like when they're hits, like people kind of bring them under the tent. As far as this is a Linklater movie, I don't know like something like School of Rock. I think very much is Linklater, but is not really mentioned in the same capacity as um, certainly any of the before series. It's it's like oh he he dabbled like you know uh, Soderbergh did the, he did the Ocean's Eleven movies too, but you know here are the Soderbergh the real Soderbergh movies. I, I'm actually kind of more interested in filmmakers in that regard that do try to wear different hats. I maybe they're <laughs> more well balanced or have a better time than something like Raimi where he is trying to enter the field where it's like, he's got like a $200 million budget. And they're like, <laughs> no, you're not going to have uh, doc Ock like puke in Spider-Man's face. <laughs> like just cause you, you want it that way. <laughs> and I don't think that like if Linklater had said, Hey, for school of rock, I want to follow these kids around throughout their entire uh, musical education experience. I think someone would have been like, dude, that's not, <laughs> that's not the type of movie we're making here. And he's like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, he, he knows when he's entering into like a, a more collaborative probably relationship, uh, in that regard. I mean, I, I agree with you that it's an outlier and that it's the extreme with maybe clerks Two in our trilogy is somewhere in the middle where clerks Two is, uh, Smith attempting to get back to his roots and have more control. Like when he's, he tried to step out, I guess in some capacity with Jersey girl and got smacked around critically and financially and then stepping back into his roots. But uh, as is often the case with Smith's career, uh, he's told that's not a real movie. Like <laughs> I think you, you tend to favor Smith. And if one thing has come up in our recent conversations is apparently I'm just like an extremely combative person in my, in my professional personal life where I'm like, no, this is, this is what it is like, you know, accept it or not. And like you, you've called yourself a people pleaser. I think Smith's like, well, <laughs> he's on the record. He's like, well, I guess was, I didn't make a real movie that I guess clerks was just a fake movie. <laughs> like I have this career, <laughs> but I've got to start making real movies. Wait, do you consider yourself a combative person? Like when I look at you, I look at somebody who is like incredibly confident and very assured of himself. It's like, no, this is the right decision for me. And I don't see that as a combative. I see that simply as somebody, you know, with a fucking backbone. So do you see yourself as combative? I, uh, I see well, myself a as good... a total pushover. <laughs> but <laughs> that's, I, I suppose that's a maybe you're right maybe i don't see myself as that but i, I see the way people respond to my uh no like it, it's saying no or saying uh this is what i'm going to do and then just uh not giving anything else in the conversation where it's just this awkward pause where i'm just <laughs> just looking at them and they're looking at me waiting for uh, to me to uh, i guess acquiesce in some way um and yeah i don't i don't think i'm like mean about it but i also I will just stand there and just have that awkward moment where and unmoving, like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I, I think that it's, it's something where with these three films, you know, that all the, all the directors were taking some degree of risk of returning to those sort of safe routes or returning to something that they had done before. Um, boyhood, um, Linklater probably had more rope because he's got the like 12 year filmmaking experiment that they did. But, uh, you know, you, you bring up a good point as far as the before series, 
he's coming off like this film releases right after that trilogy, you know, wraps up unless he does another one, um, which actually is that coming up? That would be coming up like in two years. If he kept the same like nine year cycle. Oh, oh. yeah. Uh, if he chose to do that again, um, before death, that's what, I hope that's what you want <laughs> for, the, <laughs> for the series. But I admire wouldn't all the filmmakers. Be, wouldn't that be the film? It's like Ethan Hawke has like his character has cancer, and like this is the uh, you know no, on his I don't, no, I don't see that. This is this is a a great distinction here. The the dividing line of what I love about Boyhood and what you wanted is <laughs> you wanted <laughs> some sort of melodrama to, to rear its ugly head. You wanted. <laughs> Like the uh, the drag me to hell moments where someone comes in and poor Mason Jr. is like a curse has been placed on your family. <laughs> you're really you're really taking just a little bit what I want, but like giving it to the extreme. I don't need drag this boy to hell. Like that's not the movie that I want. Web, uh, at this point, you'll have edited that episode. And I just want you, I want you to really reflect on all of the, the comments you made during my boyhood discussion. I would say the average listener is like, he does want to drag this boy to hell for, for Linklater. <laughs> That's, <laughs> I've also established in this episode that I'm very willing to re- rewrite history. That's not how we're going to remember it. <laughs> Since you're a, a well-known uh, with the, the thousands of listeners we have for the previous episode, most assuredly, um, a well-known boyhood hater, um, do you feel like, other than the fact that it's more, um, well, it's certainly like it's more taxing on the man's time and everyone uh, making boyhood because of the concept of it, uh, do you find, and I'm not talking about the content, you know, your enjoyment level of this punk white kid who you know <laughs> dares to have a beer and then, <laughs> then not even sass his mother <laughs> but just not uh not care if she cares one way or the other about it do you find that what he did was uh, less courageous in that way because he gets to to repeat himself but he gets to do it under this sort of like it's a not easily marketable uh, as far as like cutting a trailer, but it's a hook that people will be like, Oh, that's why that film exists. Like, that's why you would want to do that. That's why you'd want to return to these themes. As he, as you're, you're telling me, uh, he got to do it to the extreme. He got to take that thought and run with it. Like, let's, let's do the before series, but let's just do it over 12 years. Let's not return when we have like somewhat of a plot or premise that we can cook up in script form. Let's just show up every year and film this kid and see what we can make out of it. That to me is kind of caping the theme that he's returning to. Whereas 
someone like Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, there's no hiding the fact that it's it's, it's clerks too. <laughs> it's the clerks you knew before, and they're gonna clerk again. <laughs> and here's the it's a number. It's the second one. <laughs> like he's not hiding from the fact that he is he is going back. He's going back to those characters, and he's gonna try to make something new out of it. I mean, do you think that's a fair accusation to to Linklater that he is being not cute, because I think he was generally interested in executing this concept. But I don't think when Boyhood came out, people were like, oh, more of this bullshit from Linklater. I think it was, it, I think people were intrigued. Whether or not they enjoyed the movie, I think they were intrigued by the idea of, of trying to, to do this. Dude, I'm in awe of Linklater and, and his willingness to uh, go through with this project. And also to IFC Films, who produced this, who were like, yes, we will give you this amount of money over the course of 12 years to do this. Um, it's so many things could have gone wrong. His daughter could have been a coke fiend is, way before. I, I've got to Google this because this seems really unfair and mean spirited. I know, I know. It is. Cocaine. It is mean spirited. And I, I'm aware of that, and that's kind of why I'm poking fun. So many things. She was fined $1,000. You know, we're not. <laughs> we're not talking about, rich kids not talking about a drug runner here and you know what if you want to hear more of Webb's thoughts on rich kids and drugs we have a film also in the Criterion Collection that he really doesn't want to watch coming up next month I can't wait for those conversations <laughs> so many things could have gone wrong with uh, the production of this film uh, you know you, you could have had an actor who was just like I don't want to do this anymore or you could have had you know, the script go completely off the rails or some of these actors could have had life experiences that really don't mesh with what the script uh, uh, and what the vision, what Linklater had in mind. And that could have completely messed things up. So the fact that he was able to do it and also it's, it's a culmination kind of of his filmography of the past decade plus of like, this is the sandbox I've been playing in for a long time. And this is kind of what I've had to say and how it's evolved over the course of the last 12 years. It's bold. I respect the hell out of Boyhood on that regard. The fact that I didn't respond to it in a positive manner is neither here nor there. You know, not everyone's going to love every movie that, you know, it's like (laughs) every now and then you still meet somebody who's like, I don't like Vertigo. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. It's like, I, how are you a person? (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) But, At least we got that. At least we got that Jekyll and Hyde moment in the span of ten <laughs> seconds. <laughs> but but that's that's what I'm saying. That's the knee jerk reaction. Every now and then you'll meet these people who just don't see eye to eye with you on something that you're like, well, how could you possibly? The reality is that it's just that's the subjective nature of of any kind of art form and any kind of reaction to it. But. I absolutely am in awe of, of Boyhood, of Linklater, of the cast, uh, and the producers who were able to, like, yes, we believe in this project. And clearly, I mean, they did the right thing. Uh, the awards that it got, the fact that it is looked at as one of the greatest films of all time, I'm still uh, shocked by that. So, no, uh, to your point, absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm in Linklater's corner all the way for this film. Do you like it? when directors either go back and do a throwback film for maybe like a genre that they started off in. Uh, horror is kind of, I think, the easy one because a lot of, it's an easy film to make in terms of getting, f- uh, well, I don't want to say that. I think it's easier to make like a 
low-budget horror film than maybe something else. Maybe it's easier to get started in that in that genre because there's already an audience who is very welcoming and very accepting. Like even if it's a crappy horror film, they're still there for the ride. Uh, someone like Cronenberg, I think people bug like, why don't you do a horror film? And he's like, I don't want to. <laughs> it's like he's moved on. It's okay. Let him do whatever he wants to do in, in drama, dangerous method, and all that stuff is fascinating. Uh, history of violence. Boy, that's that's not what I thought that film was going to be about. But do you like it? Like, were you excited when you heard, oh, Raimi's going to go back and do this horror film? Or when uh, Kevin was like, oh, I'm going to go back and do this. And then would link later to a lesser degree. But do you like it when directors kind of go back and do something they've already done? Or would you rather see them move on and do something that was completely unexpected? Raimi's dragged me to hell. It kind of feels, I mean, it's obviously very different because he didn't, <laughs> you're mentioning this producer's cut for Spider-Man 3, which I think is absurd. And we live in the the age of the Snyder cut. And now it's like, well, if anybody's good director's cut, let's see it, put it on the platforms, whatever. I, I want to see everything, every possible version now. Drag Me to Hell, in a strange way, strikes me as um, kind of him reclaiming his good name post Spider-Man 3, his, his cred in some way. It comes across, compared to the other two, as the most defensive work. Um, because, like, you know, obviously Linklater's, given the, the amount of time it took to film, uh, he was doing other things. So I, I, don't, I don't even know if he thought that it would work. I think it was pure in the sense he that he was like, this could be, this could be interesting whether or not it's good or not. He's like, I just want to see what a movie looks like. And I, I think it had been attempted before. Um, I felt like in the early nineties, um, there was a filmmaker from another country that, and they did this and they did it for like seven years. And like whatever they had was like a mess. They had like a half hour of footage and they just abandoned it. And I guess Linklater could have done that, but he doesn't strike me as a sort given that sort of Soderbergh nature, no matter what, I think he was going to release something. And I guess uh, people like you are like, yep, he didn't have anything and he still released it and everybody loved it, <laughs> but not me. You didn't fool me, Linklater. Um, and I kind of hold that, I kind of hold that against Drag Me to Hell, not because it's not enjoyable on its own, but in the, if we're doing this in the, the, the structure of our thematic trilogy that we've built for ourselves, um, I, I find that, you know, what Smith did was just bold face the bravest because sequels are generally seen as they're depreciating in value. If you have to go to a sequel, like it's, it's rare that you're getting the Godfather too. It's rare that you're getting the aliens in a series. Um, so I, I feel like, yeah, he was returning to the evil dead stuff, but it was basically like you, you all loved me before Spider-Man. Then you loved my first two. And now this third one, it's like, damn it, it's <laughs> it's ruined the Raimi brands. So I'll I'll go back to what when you loved me before, uh, and I I don't remember coming off Spider Man three that people really, I don't think people will ever really blame Raimi. I felt like the it was the cat was out of the bag. That's like yeah, there there were decisions made uh, that he didn't wasn't you know involved with. I don't remember him making the round saying I've got the greatest Venom story you'll ever, you'll ever see, and it's gonna be the guy from that '70s show. <laughs> I don't remember that. So of these three, that's, I mean, and, and honestly, it's also the one that I just enjoyed watching the least, even though I've seen drag me to hell 
<laughs> double the amount of times I've seen Clerks too, and double the amount of times I've seen Boyhood. I, I can't explain <laughs> that. But for me, it's it's a uh, it, it's a toss up between uh, Clerks two and Boyhood, I guess, as far as as far as our particular theme. But I, I think they all work. It's just I think the the reasoning was different for every filmmaker, um, which is which is cool that we got to this point. Do you think that this is a successful trilogy? of directors going back to the well. I think it's a very successful trilogy. I liked where we ultimately ended up uh, in terms of our discussion about these directors and their mindsets, and, you know, from what we're gathering right. by uh, the, the, the works that they did beforehand and these. I like these films for different reasons to varying degrees, and I think that's what's great about this show, and that's what's great about finding films that might not seem like uh, these wouldn't go well together. I think this is a great reflection of what we have been trying to do for the past year or so. I liked watching them in this context that we, that we, we put on the films and sort of on ourselves and how we're going to approach them. And, you know, something like when we do, when we did the uh, the infamous, at least to us, Michael Sarah trilogy, it's like, yeah, that's an awful lot of Michael Sarah. <laughs> Three of them, in fact. <laughs> um, I, I can't say that that like illuminated anything other than uh, there's a particular pattern and styling to Sarah's comedy that both you and I appreciate, and apparently no one else in the podcast listening world did. But here, it made me like, yeah, it put me in the mindset of and not coming at it in that sort of angry fanboy way of like, why does this exist? Uh, that, that sort of negativity, but a more genuine, like what, what was the, the itch that needed to be scratched for the filmmakers to, to go back? Because you do, I think you open yourself up to way more criticism than if they just tried something new and failed, they at least have that. Right. They're like, well, they, they, you know, Sam Raimi, you know, he, he did his musical or whatever, or you have, uh, well, I was about to say Linklater like did his Western, but I think he did the, the Newton boys in the nineties. And I, th I think that failed. So I can't go there. And Raimi did the quick and the dead, right? Didn't he? So see, I was about to use Western. So Smith, well, he's definitely never going to do a Western. He's never going to do Ranger danger or whatever. He'll make a t-shirt out of it for Randall to wear, but he won't do a sci-fi epic. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed trying to see it from their perspective and then approaching it from mine as far as questioning. Like I, I said at the start of this month with clerks Two, I didn't even watch it in theaters. And I waited like way to his DVD. Cause I, I was one of the people that's a stupid idea. Like going like Kevin Smith needs to buy a beach house. He needs to pay his mortgage. So, so more clerks <laughs> action figures. And it, it sort of, it sort of made me question what is it I like about filmmakers? Do I, do I like them going back to themes? I, I think, that I do, but it's usually only after I've enjoyed the content that I'm like, ah, yes, link later in the passage of, of time. But you know, if he, if he did this with Jack Black for 12 years, I'd be like, God, that was really fucking abrasive. Like what <laughs> we have to spend that much time with Jack Black. So I think sometimes we, um, we do approach it far more just from a personal bent uh, which sometimes can be really great. You can really like sort of graft onto films and they can mean a lot more to you than maybe they even did to the filmmakers or what they intended for them to mean. But I liked this month because it was like the two halves web. It was like the sort of the, the practical nature of like the origin of these projects and then how they change with the passage of time with us. And so I think our clerks two conversation was probably the best in that regard. 
uh, and then uh, you know, Boyhood may have been the worst, where it's like, oh wow, these as Mike and Webb age, they're going to be the, the two old men in the balcony from the Muppets. <laughs> 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 but no, I actually agree with you. I think as far as our particular theme, I think this has been my favorite one, as far as just from a viewing experience. I don't know what the listeners would say as far as the content we produced. But I enjoyed uh, having that thought in my mind for this particular theme when I watched these three distinctly different films. I think as as time passes, I've also realized that Michael Sarah is our Jersey girl. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have to shit on it before people are like, why? That's a really great point. You're right. Drag Me to Hell does feel like a defense, like a rebuttal. That's fascinating. I, I remember when Ridley Scott was going back to Prometheus. Like, he's going back to science fiction. That was like a big selling point, too. Like, director of Blade Runner and Alien returns to more Alien. Well, whatever. Yeah, well, not really. Like, and that was a that was a great little, like, Kaiser Sose moment. Or he's just like, you think you're getting Alien. I have no interest in Alien. Like, I'm, I'm interested in... I think Space you and I are, are, are both on the same page and that we're like, I don't know if we're secretly, we, I mean, we don't talk about it too much on Twitter, but like, I, I wasn't even on Twitter when Prometheus came out, but I would have been the guy that's like, that was pretty cool. Right guys. And everybody'd be like, <laughs> I would have had at mentions at Mike, you're an idiot. And I'm like, well, I liked it. Like, <laughs> I had a good time with it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm all about Prometheus as well, actually. Um, and actually, you know, what's funny is like you watch that like four hour behind the scenes documentary of it. And it's like, I can't believe this film got made because it went through this insane rewrite phase. And what's fascinating about Ridley Scott is that he did this shit twice. He's like, I'm going to give you Alien and give us Prometheus. And we're like, what the fuck? We want Alien. <laughs> and he's like, well, all right, well, that, this time I'll give you Alien. And Alien Covenant isn't really Alien. It's deeper into Prometheus oh, really? than it is I've Alien. Actually, I've never seen uh, uh, Covenant. I own it. And I, I've Ooh. it's and that's been, what, like four years? Five years? I, I, it's been a while, and I've never gotten around to it. I dug it. It's... It gets into even more of the weirdness that, that mm. Prometheus has. And I think from a marketing standpoint, he's like, okay, I'll put an alien in mm -hmm. it. But he explores more about what he wants to do. And God, please, Disney, just let him do one more film to kind of wrap it up. Because the way Covenant ends, it's like you, you want a little bit more, just a little bit more. 